Good morning to everyone. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Exodus chapter 23. Believe it or not, in the Bible, in Exodus 23, there is the Christmas story. We find, in fact, Jesus said, search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life, but they are which testify of me. So I always like to look for Jesus on every page of the Old Testament. This is why I believe it's so important that we know what the Old Testament says so we better understand the new. If you have your Bibles again, Exodus chapter 23. And with that, let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we just ask you now that you would come and fill this place with your glory, with your heart, and Lord, with your spirit of understanding so we would understand more of who you are and we'll know more of who we are once we do that. And so we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would rest on us and keep us, God, cause us to remember these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, as we look at this time of year, oftentimes on to every man an answer, I'll get the question. Uh, well, where in the Bible does it say we're supposed to celebrate Christmas? Well, I don't know, but you know, it's the day that the world recognizes that Jesus came. And you know, I want to take every opportunity, and what a blessing it is to be able to go in some of the stores and you hear glory to the newborn king over the loudspeakers. And I wonder how many people really understand what Christmas really is about. I believe that's why we're all still here. Well, as we look in the Old Testament, God lays out for man what is God's acceptable pattern. Now, people have often asked, why is that important today? When you stop to realize your eternal position in the kingdom of God, Jesus said you will rule and reign with him someday on this earth during the millennial reign of Christ when Jesus sits on the throne from Jerusalem, Israel for a thousand years and judges the nations. The Bible says you're going to be the administrators of his righteousness. Now, I always like to know a little bit more about what my position is I always like to find myself in scripture whenever I read. And so to understand then what God's laws are, how is God going to judge the world someday? I think it's a fair question. The Bible tells us exactly how he's going to judge the world. It isn't going to be willy-nilly left up to um, liberal judges that say, well, you know, you're not that bad looking. I'll let you go. And you, you're rich. I'll let you go. And and, uh, you're poor. We're we're going to press you. All the stuff that we see, unfortunately, more and more in our society today during the millennial reign of Christ, when Jesus reigns from Jerusalem, it's going to be done God's way. Now, the reason why that's important, again, as we read these, we get a better idea of how God's going to judge the world and better idea how we then, as people who love him, need to live. Now, again, we've talked about this before. The Ten Commandments, the law, was never meant to justify a person. It was meant to show us how desperately we need a Savior. I find Christian groups today that try to actually get people to go back under the law. Well, this is exactly what happened in the book of Galatians, where in this region of churches, there were people that were called Judaizers. And they were trying to get people to find their justification, not in the blood of Jesus Christ, but in their keeping the law. 
Exodus chapter 20, three chapters back, as we read the Ten Commandments, if you read after God gives the Ten Commandments in the audible hearing of all the people of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai, he said, this is a test. Never says this was meant to justify man. This was a test if you truly love God. Well, as we look at this today, you're going to see more and more what God's standard is. Now, this is why this is important. What you believe is how you live your life. It's inevitable the two go hand in hand. If you believe that getting stoned every day, drinking a quart of whiskey every day isn't going to hurt you, uh, you're going to find yourself dead, liver cancer, all the other problems. What you believe dictates how you live your life. When we come to Jesus, the Bible says we're born again by his spirit. Not anything I could do or you could do, but it's something that God puts his Holy Spirit in, in us. But I know this, that as God does that, he wants, again, us to grow in him, be more like him. And again, I believe as we read these things today, we're going to see more and more of how that works. Exodus 23, verse 1, it says, You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. So um, be careful of the company you keep. And he said, be careful that you don't do that. You know, we we have a society today that, that just loves to follow the crowd. As it says here, you shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute as so to turn aside after many to pervert justice. You're not to follow the crowd. Wow. That's what opposite what I hear from Hollywood. Hollywood says, man, you want to be in the inset. You want to be in the in crowd. No, I don't. And by the way, moms and dads, be sure to encourage your children not to go along with the mindset of today. Because the mindset of today is following a path of destruction. And I think we all see that. You, the Bible says that the way that seems right into a man, but in the end, there's destruction. And we see that in our society. You know, we go back, some of you that are a little bit older, back to the late 60s, early 70s. And, you know, the motto was, do your own thing. Well, you know, doing your own thing has led us to the complete, I think, falling apart of our society today. We see it globally all over the world. Because, again, there's a way that seems right to a man, but that's not God's way. So he says, watch out. Stay out of crowds that are going the wrong way. Do you know it was that way from the beginning? Eve eats of the tree, and Adam goes, I'll follow you. So, I mean, man's been doing this ever since the beginning. Why is that? Well, because I believe that internal guidance system doesn't work right. That's why I believe Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again. Now, what does that mean? What's being born again mean? I'm glad you asked that. Nicodemus asked the same question. He said, what do I got to do? Get back in my mom? How's this work? He goes, no, no. Just as you had a natural birth, being born of the water, you need to be born of the Spirit. There's going to be a day in your life where you turned your life over to Christ. Now, you might not remember the month or the year, but you will remember that day when you said, okay, Lord, I'm going to follow you. 
I'm going to do it your way. So much different. So he says, don't follow the crowd. Again, be careful of that because it implies here that crowds are goofy. So again, we call them different names, lynch mobs, you know, following the ruckus. Be careful of that. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. If you meet your enemy, ox, or his donkey that's gone astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. Wow. Now let's look at this for a minute. Uh, He says, you can't show partiality to a poor person any more than you would to a rich person. What you want here is justice. And if you see your neighbor's car rolling down the street, it says you need to go help him bring it back. It says, notice, if you like to underline things in your Bible, your enemy. Enemy? His his donkey's loose? Good! I hope somebody hits it and eats it. That's not what God says to do. Jesus said, do good to your enemies. God, seeing that, will reward you. You see, the problem is we take matters into our own hands, and that's where fightings and disputes and murders come from. The Bible tells us to love our enemies, do good to those that hate you, and you represent them the love of God. You know, back again, I always go back to the early 60s or maybe the late 60s, early 70s, and what the world was looking for was love. But their love was so conditional. I use this line so many times, but it's so true. The Beatles said, all you need is love. And then they broke up and sued each other. Is that the kind of love now that we need? No. There is the idea that we need love, but we need God's love. And God's love is different than worldly love. Worldly love is conditional. I love you if. God's love is I love you, period. And that's what God is conveying to his followers. That it isn't I love you if you're nice to me, but God says be nice to your enemies. Well, that goes against everything I am. God, be nice to them. Yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, get even with them. Well, what does the Bible here say? If you see your enemy's oct or donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him. You know what that does to a person that views you as an enemy and you're blessing him with kindness? Changes their heart. Melts their heart. Changes their perspective of even humanity. And when we represent Christ and we show the love of God in doing that, because that is not within normal human beings to do that. We render evil for evil, don't we, generally speaking? And, and, and the, all, all of our movies that we see, you know, you see a nice little village and then some meanie comes along and disrupts it all. And then Arnold comes on the scene and fixes it all back up again or enter your own star here. And then everything is good again. Well, the thing is, it's because he came in and he rousted out the bad guys. See, the Bible here tells us we are not following the world. We do it differently. We render good for good. Friends, that is not within our nature. Our nature says, you be mean to me, I'll be mean to you. But God says, you're going to live by a different standard now, recognizing that God is sees it all. 
Now we remember again the man that went from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He fell among thieves and they robbed him. He was a Samaritan. Nobody had anything to do with Samaritans in those days. They were half-breeds. And yet the man put him on his own beast, bandaged him up as they had really beat him up. Not only did they rob him, but they wounded him. And he brought him to a village, the, the inn, and told the innkeeper, I'll come back and whatever bill he runs up, I'll pay for. See, that shows what a real neighbor and what somebody that really loves somebody is like. So he says, if you see the donkey of one who hates you, lying under its burden and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. You know, God says all of his creation is worthy of our attention. In fact, as we read on here in a minute, we're going to get up to the Sabbath. And we're going to talk about that a little bit and what its purpose is. But what's really amazing about it, God cares about his animals. He does. I think that's really interesting that we, again, should care about everything that God has made on this earth. That's why I don't believe that Christians should be throwing cups out the window and different things. I'm not saying being green, but I'm saying we need to have a mindful, as God told Adam, tend the garden, take care of my creation. That's what we're to do as well. Now, again, because it represents what we are. So he says, if you see that happen, you can get involved and help it. You shall not pervert just judgment of your poor in this dispute. Keep yourselves far from a false manner. Do not kill the innocent with the righteous for I will not justify the wicked. I don't know who's right here. I don't know who's wrong here. Away with both of you. God says, don't do that. You know, God says, hey, you, you, you keep justice, what's right. And he says, and you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the, discern, the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. Haven't you seen bribes going rampant today? You know, I, 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 you know, I don't know whether you want to get vaccinated or you don't. I don't want to start a riot in here. But I think it's interesting that almost all your news broadcasts that are telling you to get the vaccine are sponsored by Pfizer, who makes the vaccine. Hmm. It's called conflict of interest. Why is that? Well, You see, bribes come in many different packages and many different forms. Now, it may not be somebody slipping you a $20 bill for whatever it might be, or a thousand or a half a million, or depends on how, what rank in the political world you're in, could be billions. But the thing is, is that anything can be that way. Well, I'll scratch your back if you'll scratch mine. Well, we got to be careful of that. Because in the scratching of backs, we can pervert what is right. And that's one of the things that you, again, me, during the millennial reign of Christ, we're going to be executing on this earth under the lordship of Jesus Christ, his righteousness. So we don't have to wait till the millennial reign to be about our daddy's business. We want to be careful of bribes. We want to be careful of the in crowd of whatever they're doing. 
We want to be careful of circulating false rumors. We want to have an eye to help those, even our enemies that don't like us. And we want to be able to provide that, that we do care about what God has given us. He also says, you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of the stranger. Literally, the heart means the whole being of the person, because you were once strangers in the land of Egypt. How would you want to be treated if you were a stranger in a strange land? Then we want to do that for them. Now, he goes into this rest thing. And you know, you're designed by God to take a rest. I know a lot of us don't want to think that. We just think, well, I'm just a machine, you know. Listen, uh, you need rest. God designed you that way. He designed the world that way. So he says, notice, six years you shall sow your land and gather its produce. But in the seventh year you shall let it rest and let it lay fallow, that the poor of your people may eat and when they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. In that like manner, you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. Now he goes on and he says this. Six days you shall do your work. And on the seventh, you shall rest that your ox and your donkey may rest. Whoa, wait a minute. Hold on just a minute. Now we find that God extends this day of rest even to your animals. Now, why is why does God have to do this? Friends, I don't know why God made it a law in the first place in the Ten Commandments. But Jesus said that the Sabbath was not made for God, it was made for you. Now, understand that. That's really important because you get all these different people talk about keeping the Sabbath. There is a day, I believe, a week that we should take a rest. Not do things for gain, but just enjoy what God has given you. The world has a phrase for it, stop and smell the roses, but it's really weird that God literally had to make it a law, hold a gun to our heads and say, look, you're going to take a day off whether you want to or not. Oh, gee, I think about that. Remember when you were a kid, your mother would come in and say, it's time for you to take a nap. Remember that? They would make you take a nap. I don't want to take a nap. And, and, and I talked to a friend yesterday. He said, I used to run and hide when I knew my mom was going to come and make me take a nap. Now, as I'm older, mom, please make me take a nap. You know, it'd be a great idea, don't you think? Your mom calls you, say, honey, it's time to go take your nap. Oh, thank you, mom. Thank you for loving me. And you just go and lose the world for a couple hours or a couple of minutes or whatever it might be. God held the people of Israel saying, you're not like everybody else. Now, it's, it's interesting here because, again, I, I always share that the Ten Commandments is the greatest statement of human psyche in the world. You go to college, you study Young, Freud, all these other philosophers and ideas and all these things. But the Bible is the best on observation of man and what's wrong with man. And the Ten Commandments reveal that. And it tells us in the Ten Commandments that man basically will worship anything. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. What do people in our world today worship? They worship their careers, their cars, their spouses, their, their uh, accomplishments, all these different things. 
tells me that people by nature are idolatrous. Thou shalt not steal. Why does the Bible say that? Because by nature, we like to steal. When no lock is no lock, when no one's around kind of idea. Well, that's what the problem is. The Bible says six days you'll work and on the seventh you'll rest. Tells me two things. One, man can be lazy, not work any days of the week. Or be a workaholic keeping that old nose to the grindstone and miss life. You see, it's scary when you stop to think how finely balanced we must be to be complete individuals. And I believe that, again, this is why I I saw a thing last night. It said, um, uh, if you're rich, live on the French... It says, if you're rich, live on the French Riviera. If you're famous, live in Hollywood. If you're truly blessed, you'll live where you are. I thought about that. I go, yeah, that's true. Because really, that's what the problem is. We're on a quest for what we don't even know what we're looking for. So the Bible tells us this is what you need. And when we take that rest, when we step back and see the trees in the forest, I believe it changes our perspective. And you need that change in your... It it isn't a law that, well, you know, but God says you're going to be blessed. Now, Now, this is another thing. We can violate everything in God's word. <laughs> That's what the world does. Do you know what the result of that is? Chaos. Look at anybody you know that doesn't follow what God's word says. They're hooked up all right with drugs and alcohol. They're worshiping something, but it isn't God. The Bible says what we need to live in balance. Now, again, as he says here, Six days, you'll work. Again, God just simply said, I want you to take a break. Now, this is what people oftentimes will say. But if I don't work every day, I can't make ends meet. Have you heard that? Well, got some good news for you. God is bigger than your day off. And he'll provide for you. That's what the word says. We honor God, God will honor you. And that's just the way God does it. I don't know about you and some of you that have maybe been a Christian for a long time. It seems whenever I work on a day that I know I'm not supposed to, I end up having to redo whatever I did. Have you noticed that? Or you'll do something and you'll go, that was dumb. Why did I do that? I cut a chunk of concrete out of my house one time because I thought that's where the water line was. And I did it when, and all the while God's like saying, you're wasting your time. <laughs> I thought I was. I cut it out. There was no water line there. Now I have a big hole. And it was just been better off to just wait, set back, Let God show me, hey, that's not where the water line is. Because if you look at the way the pipes go, you would see it goes this way, not that way. I've done that. You'll do something and you think you're going to get ahead. And instead, you get farther behind. Now, again, those who God is the Lord, he doesn't withhold any good thing from you. That's what the Bible says. It isn't health-wealth doctrine. It's a principle of God. That if you make God 
your Lord, what you serve, the Bible says he'll add all your needs according to his righteousness. That's what you need. Now, if I think I'm going to make the difference up by working an extra day and not just obeying what God says, I'm going to be in balance. You know, I've talked to people that have, and by the way, if you don't give your body a day off, friends, it will take it. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, I've seen people that just blow through and don't work, and then all of a sudden they come down with some flu or whatever because their body's weak because they never took a day off of rest, and they're sick for a whole month. You know, it's interesting. It says here, six years you shall sow your land, and on the seventh you'll rest. You know, Israel wasn't doing that because they had forsaken God, and so they had went and completely went outside of God's purpose. So they were held, they were hauled away captive to Babylon for 70 years. God got his days of rest. He just took them all at once at the end. You can't violate God's principles once you know what they are because you know better. Now you say, well, then isn't it better, Mike, to just stay ignorant? No, because you're going to endure the consequences either way. At least now I know why. You know, I can say, well, I don't believe what the Bible says. I'm going to do my own thing. Well, then go ahead and do it. If you're a person, you're not a Christian, you're not interested in God, there's little heel marks all the way up to your chair where somebody drug you in here. They made me come. Live it your way. You gain the whole world, the Bible says. Lose your own soul. What does it profit you? So we have to look at, then what is it? God says, you take a day off, I will bless you. Now, if you're a paramedic, your day of rest might be a Tuesday or a Thursday or a Wednesday. I don't know. But there should be a day a week you just enjoy what God has given you. That's a good thing. Because you'd always feel like, well, you know, I'd really like to have, you know, my kids sit on my lap, but I really need to get out there and go work. And God says, just do it. Let me tell you something. When you die, and I did a year ago, when you die... You have a new perspective if you come back. And that is, you're a heartbeat away from nothing on this earth mattering. Now, if, if you're new here, I had a corona, I, I mean, a, a, a coronavirus blood clot to the heart. Um, never, you know, they, when I go, go in there, they have, oh, list all your medications. I said, aspirin a year. I don't, I've been pretty healthy. And it was really weird because from the time I went into the emergency room to the time I flatlined for two minutes, um, 15 minutes. The last thing on my mind on December 5th of last year was, I'm going to die this afternoon. But I did. Now, God was gracious and allowed the doctor to put the stent to be right there in the hospital so he didn't have to be on call. And meanwhile, well, your heart's all plugged up, your heart's dying, and all those kinds of things. But the thing is, when you really realize how fragile life is, you go, God, you're right. Take a day off and enjoy what God's given you. So what if the lawn doesn't get mowed? You have your family. You have the things that God's given you. You can say, Lord, thank you for what you've done. So he says... Six days you shall do your work, seventh day you rest. Your ox, your donkey may rest literally as well. And the son of your maidservant and the stranger 
may be refreshed. So it's a principle of God that you were designed by him to take a day off a week. Isn't that weird? And that God will make up the difference in your life. I like that because that's what he's promised he will do. And in all that I have said to you, be circumspect, may no, make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. God is God, let him be Lord. Okay, now he talks about these different uh, feasts. Three times a year you shall uh, make a feast to me a year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread, and uh, which is basically Passover. Now, again, this is um, uh, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. You should keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You shall uh, eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you at the time appointed of the month of Abib. And in it, you, when you came out of Egypt, none shall appear before me empty. And the Feast of Harvest, it, which is actually first fruits. Um, of all your labors and the feast of ingathering, which is at the end of the year when you have gathered the fruit of your labors in the field. Three times a year, you shall make all the males appear before the Lord. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. He says here, don't offer the blood of the sacrifice with leavened bread. You say, why? You know, it's really weird. It was Louis Pasteur. Yes, now for your history class of the day. Louis Pasteur looked under a microscope, saw the wee little beasties in leaven. It's bacteria. It's weird that the Bible identified leavened bread as something that had bacteria in it. And God says, don't offer bacteria with the blood. <laughs> God know that. God knows everything. You know, he says here that um, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread nor shall the fat of my sacrifice of my animal remain until morning. The first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God, and you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now, what, what it's really talking about here, this was a pagan practice, and they would do this, and then they would go out and sprinkle this concoction on their trees and on their field, and the gods would grant them a great harvest. And God says, don't be like the pagans. The Bible also says that, and by the way, the Jewish rabbis got all tweaked out about this, and to this day, they won't eat a cheeseburger. Because it just might be that the, the meat of the, uh, that's in the, in the cow that you're eating, the, the hamburger patty, and the cheese could have been from the same family. Well, that's not really what he's talking about here. It's just a really that you don't want to be involved in pagan practices because the context of it, if you go back and look at it, you shall make no mention of the other gods, verse 13, about this. This is the problem. Paganism was rampant 
in the days of Israel coming out of Egypt. It's rampant today. God's saying, don't adapt their practices in worshiping me. Now, we come into kind of a Christmas story, if you will. Behold, I sent you an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place that I have prepared. Beware of him, obey his voice, do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. This is not just an angel. This is a picture type of Christ in the Old Testament. This is a theophany. Now, we do find him through the Bible that Jesus was evident before his birth in Bethlehem. We remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego cast in the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar is looking at him. He's mad because they wouldn't worship his golden statue. And he throws him in there. And the Bible says, he says, I thought we put three in there, but there's a fourth in there like the Son of Man. Joshua, as an example, sees an angel. And he bows down to worship it, and the angel did not stop him. Anywhere it's just an angel, it stops him. They'll say, worship God. But here, we find that Joshua met a theophany of Christ. Jesus talked about it in John 8. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, saw it, and was glad. And the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because he was claiming to be God. Now, here's what's weird about this. Behold, I will send an angel before you to keep you in the way. You know, that's what Jesus does. He comes to you and me goes before us to keep us in his way. The Bible tells us that it's God's good pleasure to keep us from sinning. Do you realize that? He wants to protect you. And he says here, if you'll notice this, he says, and bring you into the place which I prepared. Do you realize when we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's basically what we're saying. Lord, you prepared a place for me. I just want you to lead me where you want me to go. That's what God does. Now, whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, I've had people say, well, why was God such a wrath of iron brimstone in the Old Testament? And he's a God of love in the New Testament. God changed. No, God never changed. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. Why does it say that? Because the thing is, God loves you, Old Testament or New Testament. God's desire was to bring you and lead you into his path. Do you realize that God puts you on this earth to be in a certain place at a certain time every day? Not random happenstance. Oh, you know, I hope they figure it out. Nope, that's not the way God works. God's heart is he would lead you. Now, here's the big question. How does he lead you? We've been over this a lot of times. Through circumstances, opening doors, closing doors, weird things that you see, like Moses seeing a burning bush and walks over and checks it out. Things that God does to get us where he wants us to be. But he says that God will lead us where he wants us to be. Someday in heaven, forever, and every day in Jesus today. He wants to lead us where he wants us to be. 
Those divine appointments are not random happenstance. They are divine appointments by God. You never know that person that you see, maybe in the store, over in a corner, crying. And that's not something you normally see every day. So you walk up to the person, you say, are you all right? And they look at you and they go, no, I'm not. What's the matter? Well, my, my mom just died of COVID. And they're hopeless. Hey, divine appointment. You're there to minister the gospel. Do you realize God has been working in that individual that's been crying for maybe years to have you go and happen to be there at that time to share the gospel with them? See, there's nothing a person that's experiencing death themselves. Maybe the doctor said you've got six months to live. Or whether it's somebody that they know that has just died. There's nothing a person that is in the valley of the shadow of death that needs more than hope. And hope from that is only in Jesus. The doctor, you can have all the money in the world, you'll die rich. But only Jesus offers that life. And so he says, beware of him. Obey his voice. Don't provoke him. And he will, because he won't pardon you of your transgressions, for my name is in him. You know, God won't pardon you unless you ask to be pardoned. You know, that's one of the things when we become born again. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will... I will be an enemy to all your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Oh, now wait a minute. I'm beginning to get this here. God wants me to be good to my enemies. And because I love God, God will then deal with my enemies himself. Who's your daddy? Not really, I'm serious. You can deal with your enemies or you can be good to your enemies and let God deal with your enemies. Oh, that's a lot better. Because you don't know who God may have called into his kingdom. See, I can go over and shoot them. Or stab them. Or I can just annihilate them with my mouth and slander them into the, into the stratosphere. But you never know that God may be calling that person into his kingdom. And it's because of your kindness that God then will bring them into his kingdom He deals with them because he wants to see. You know, it's interesting again, for God so loved the world. He doesn't say, for God so loved the good little boys and the good little girls. He said, he loved the world. Right, wrong, lost, found, whatever. He loves everybody. But if we would confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he says, He'll be your he'll be your defense. Verse twenty three. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the into the Amorite and the Hittites and the Prezites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Termites. No, all these different names. Sorry, Hivites, Jebusites, and I will cut them off. God says, "I'll be your defense." Wow, so much better. Do you know if you're a real Christian here today, you have enemies. You just do. You need God's protection in your life. That only comes because you're his child. Now he says, be careful here. Because he says, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them. 
nor do according to their custom their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. In other words, you don't leave provision for that old to come back. That's one of the reasons why I believe when you're born again, and you say, well, I love Jesus now, but I'm keeping my bong in the closet, you know, just in case. Get rid of that stuff. Go through, do a house cleaning. If you got little golden statues, oh, they're so cute, I keep them in the backyard. Get rid of that stuff. You don't need that stuff. It represents another God than you. That's why I don't believe Christians should have little little trinkets of, of gods or Buddhas or whatever because it represents a whole different philosophy, a whole different God, a whole different mindset. To be about your daddy's business is so much more important. He says, so you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water and I will take sickness away from the midst of you No one shall suffer miscarriages or be barren in the land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I I believe that, friends. You know, you, 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 I I, I had a friend one time. He was a party dude. And he said, yeah, I'll come, I'll come up and share in your church. I said, that'd be great. He said, but I got a question for you. I go, what's that? What's your closest hospital? And I said, I don't know, seven miles. And he goes, okay, good, good. That's a good thing. I said, why? And he said, well, back in my party days, I did so much coke, I fried all the veins in my nose, and I get nosebleeds, and I can't stop them from bleeding. So I have to go, and they literally have to do something, cauterize them or something, to get them to stop. So we can violate what God's Word says, but unfortunately, we'll pay a terrible price for it. So he says, I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among the people, literally your enemies, who come to you, and I will make your enemies turn their backs on you. And I will send hornets before you, and you sh- which will drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, the Hittites before you. And I will, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field come and, and be too numerous for you. Now, this is an important principle of God. Little by little, I will drive them from you, from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. Friends, a little by little. God's schedule is not ours. I see all these people saying, well, you just command God. God, I command you. I'm using my magic faith words. No, we don't do that. God's, it's on God's schedule. We pray, we petition God, and let him do the work. So much better, because God knows what is needed to do. Well, God, I want you to deal with that person right now. Well, you don't know that God might be dealing with that person that come into his kingdom, and he ain't done roasting them yet. Because he does do that, you know. When they find no satisfaction in the world, and they still have an acquaintance with you, that God would use you to bring them into the, into the kingdom. So he says, little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and you will inherit the land. And I will set you, your bounds, from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert to the river. Now, this is probably the Euphrates River. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out from before you. This yet has never happened. It will happen, I believe, during the millennium. 
But it has happened. The closest they ever got was under the reign of King David. But we, we find they never fully possessed what God had given them. Now, this is the way it can be for you. We can read all the promises of God, but if we don't want to go in and take those promises that God has given us, if we don't want to do what God says, we'll never really be what God wants us to be. In other words, God says, you serve me, you be kind to your enemies, I'll deal with your enemies, and I'll take care of you. Okay, God, that sounds good. That is the provision. But do I want to live in that, or do I want to play games someplace else? I believe that's so important. So he says, you shall make no covenant with them, with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me, for you shall serve their gods. It will surely be a snare to you. In other words, bad company corrupts good manners. And you got to be careful the company you keep. This morning, maybe you've been keeping the wrong company. Maybe you've been trying to do it yourself. Maybe you've been hitting overdrive and you, you know you're burning out. I want to encourage you, today's your day. The Bible says, if we'll come to him, confess our sins to him. This is why Jesus died on the cross. He did something for you and me we could never do in ourselves. Because God loves you. And he wants to repair you. Friends, I don't know, but this morning as we have communion, And you hold the cup in your hand, which reminds you of Jesus. Somebody died for you. They loved you that much. The bread, the Bible says, Peter says, by his stripes, we are healed. You you need to be healed here today. You might say, well, Mike, I feel fine. No, I'm not talking about that. Your heart, your ability to love, your ability to be loved, your memories, those dreams, those things that haunt you, you need to be healed. You know, I was raised in church. And for a good percentage of of my life, I had communion and I truly didn't understand what it was about. I didn't understand what the bread was. It's so you can be healed. You need to be healed this morning. You need to have that. Maybe you do need a physical touch in your body. When you hold that, when you see that bread, that wafer, that represents Jesus's body that was broken for you. The Corinthian church in chapter 11 had changed communion into a drunken party. And Paul says, uh, for this reason, many are sick and dead among you because you fail to partake of communion in a worthy fashion. It's not that I'll ever be worthy for communion. But when you view communion as some kind of a goofy Christian ritual that people do, no wonder people are sick and dead among you, he says. So how much more is it then? when we together understand the great things that God has done for us. This morning, if you're not a Christian, communion is not, doesn't mean anything. But if you are a Christian, it's a source of you connecting with God, God healing you and touching you. Friends, we need that. Your memories of the past You're comparing things of the past to the present. Oh, the old days were so much better. You need to be healed. Those things will haunt you and keep you from going into what God wants you to do because the the past has got such a hook in your heart. God wants to break that so that you can be a new person in him every day. So maybe some of those things you've been holding on to those grudges, those angers, and especially at this time of the year where it is a time where you can 
if the Bible says this is the way we're supposed to be to our enemies, how much more should it be towards our, our loved ones and our family and our friends? There's some families who don't even talk to each other. But this can be healing for you. So as you hold that bread in your hand this morning, think about what you would like God to heal you of. He will. And the cup represents, as Jesus said, the new covenant, the new way that we're found justified. Not by our works, but what God did for us. We put on his righteousness. If you've never prayed and accepted Christ, let's pray, get right with God, and then we'll have communion. And we'll see what God will do in every one of our lives in Jesus' name. If you need to receive Christ, pray Ask God in your heart right now as we pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And his blood covered my sins. So I repent of the foolish way I've lived. And from this day forward, I want to live for you. So fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe Jesus rose from the grave to give me life. And Lord, write my name now in your book of life that I can live with you forever. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to love you more. Love my fellow man more. In Jesus' name, amen.